So today, if you would take your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I will be teaching this month on the subject of missions, and I'll be using different texts that emphasize this mission that the Lord has given to us. In fact, in every single one of the Gospels, there is a, there is a mission emphasis. In every single one of the Gospels, Jesus has given us his great commission, and we're going to look at um, some of those texts throughout this month. But Matthew 28 um, is the famous passage that records the, the great commission. But before we go into that, I want to share just a, a story that I read this month about a, a grocery store owner in England who decided that he had to ban customers from coming into his store. He said that he was forced to take such drastic action because of people's bad manners. So first he banned smoking, then crude language, then baby strollers and pets, and finally customers themselves. So shoppers must now look through the, the window and spot the items they want and then ring a bell to be served through a small hatch in the door. And the owner admitted, I have lost business, but I cannot say how much. But I'm a man of principles and I stand by my decision. This is a true story. That storekeeper had lost sight of his mission. We're going to be looking at what is our mission this month. And while this story is, is ridiculous, it's easy as a church to lose sight of our mission. And if churches are not careful, they can, they can accumulate different programs, many of which are legitimate and not wrong in and of themselves. But over time, these, these programs forget the church's mission and, and drift off course. And pretty soon the, the church becomes cluttered with, with cherished programs that keep everybody busy but not help toward fulfilling the Great Commission. We're doing many good things, but we've forgotten the main thing. So it's important to answer and then keep coming back to this question, what is the, the church's mission? And we're going to be looking at it throughout this week, but in a nutshell, let me just summarize. The church's mission is to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel to the lost and making Christ-like disciples who in turn make Christ-like disciples. Let me repeat that. The church's mission is to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel to the lost and making Christ-like disciples who in turn make Christ-like disciples. And I'm going to prove to you this month that this is what Jesus wants from us as a church. And right here in our passage, we will see this evidence. So in Matthew 28, if you would read with me from verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together before we go into the passage. Father, this morning we thank you for the wonderful words of truth that we could sing. Thank you for the words of truth that we could read. Thank you for the words of truth, Lord, that we can now hear preached from your word. We pray, Lord, that today you would help us to understand. We pray that you give us eyes to, to see, give us ears to hear, and give us hearts, Lord, to, to understand. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to see that this is the very purpose for which we have been saved, to glorify you by making disciples. So we ask for your Spirit's help now as we come to your word. May he illuminate the word to us, help us to apply it, and help us to understand. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this question. What is the chief end of man? Or what is the goal of man? And the answer is given. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And the reason we exist is to bring glory to God. That's why we have been created. And God created us and all things for His glory. And the mission of our church, as is stated in our website, is to glorify God by making and developing disciples. If you've been to our members class, you would have recognized that statement. But our objectives determine outcome, isn't it? That for which we aim is generally that which we accomplish. If we aim at nothing, we're sure to achieve nothing. And churches usually do aim at something, but so often it's not what the Lord has directed the church to aim at. And many churches think that they are, are doing well, they're busy, but in reality they are blissfully unaware of, of where they should be going. And my purpose is not to say how bad the, the church is. What I want to do is to show you what God says about the church's purpose. I know we enjoy Christian fellowship, and it's rich and it's rewarding, but it's not our primary responsibility. I know that we are called to praise and, and worship, and that too is, is rich and enriching, but that is not our primary responsibility. I know we are called to learn the, the Word of God, to, to teach, and that we may understand better the Scriptures. But as good as it is, and it is, it is vital, it is not our primary responsibility. Our primary responsibility is summed up for us in one verb here in our passage, in verse 19. If you're taking notes, I encourage you, underline these words, make disciples, make disciples. And then look at the rest of verse 19. Here is the breadth of this. 
of all the nations. This is the primary reason the church exists. This is the primary responsibility of the church. If we were saved for fellowship, think about this. If we were saved for fellowship, then we would be taken to heaven where perfect fellowship is already there. And if we were saved for, for praise and worship, if church was all just about praise and worship, we would be taken to heaven where praise and, and worship is unhindered and is perfect in every way. If we were saved for the sake of teaching and training and, and knowledge and, and wisdom, we would be taken again to heaven where knowledge is perfect. But there's a reason that we haven't been taken to heaven. The minute we got saved, the Lord didn't rapture us into heaven for a reason. And that is so that we might make disciples of all nations. And that is our God-given priority as a church. Jesus came, the Bible says, to, to seek and to save the lost. And we have the same task. We have the same task to, to bring salvation to the lost. Since he... Well, this is, this is what it means to make disciples. It simply means to make a learner. To make a follower of Jesus Christ. And today, I want to show you from our text five elements necessary for us to glorify God in His great commission. So my first point this morning is simply availability. So we're looking at verse 16. The first element necessary to glorify God by making disciples is availability. And this attitude is implied by the fact that the 11 disciples were where Jesus told them to be. Our text here provides for us the, the narrative of the last recorded message of Jesus. But at this point in the gospel of Jesus, our Lord has already been crucified, He's already been buried, He's already been resurrected. And this is His final words that He is speaking to them before He ascends back up into heaven. And a lot has happened before this event. Peter had denied Jesus. Thomas had doubted. Judas Iscariot killed himself. And all the disciples had they'd lost everything in these catastrophic events that preceded this. But the disciples were yet again following Jesus. And they would return to Galilee where Jesus would, would meet up with them. Remember, Galilee is where it all started. And it seems Galilee is going to mark a new beginning for these disciples. Look at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. There were only 11 of them. Jesus, Judas was dead. And there were many logical reasons for the disciples to have turned away from following Jesus. The disciples had suffered much loss. They had suffered pain. They had suffered heartache. And their circumstances were not what they thought they would have been. They must have had some reservations. But yet, we see in our text, they are following 
Jesus again. They are making themselves available for God's service. Someone once said, the greatest ability is availability. Let me repeat that. The greatest ability is availability. These men weren't professors. They weren't, they weren't doctors. They were, they were people that God used from all spheres of society who were available. These disciples, they were available. And the most gifted and talented Christian in the world is of no use to God if he is not available to God. No matter how many gifts you have, faithful service to God always starts with simply being available to God. Putting all our fears, putting all our reservations aside and trusting the Lord, being available to Him. Now, people who are not available to God are people who never fully know God's purpose for their lives. People who will not step out in faith, will never fully know God's joy that comes with serving Him. God always uses people who are fully and completely available to Him for service. The greatest ability is availability. That's our first point that we see there in verse 16. The second element necessary to glorify God is worship. Matthew says in verse 17, that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Remember the disciples now having reunited with Jesus in Galilee, respond in a, in a bit of a peculiar way, isn't it? Upon seeing Jesus, they worship. This part we can understand, this, yes, sure enough, we get it. It makes sense especially given the circumstances of, of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And of course, the events that happened before that, his crucifixion. But notice here, they also doubt, it says. The disciples doubt. And worship is not typically associated with doubt. It, it doesn't seem to fit. But the text here does not so much focus on the doubt in the sense of unbelief. This is not the case. They did not doubt that, that Christ was, was risen from the dead. They did not doubt that, that Jesus had died. They had all the evidence in front of them. He had appeared to them several times, even before this occasion. And he had given them all the proofs of the, the truth of his resurrection that they needed. They were fully convinced. But their doubt was more in their uncertainties. Their doubt was more in their fears. The doubt was more in their reservations. What next? But the fact that their doubt is mentioned here by the disciples themselves just shows us that they were honest men. They were normal people like you and I. And this was a most unusual, even almost unbelievable circumstance that they found themselves in. But despite their fears, despite the fact that none of this scientifically could add up in their brains, they worshipped Jesus. The disciples had come together for one purpose. 
And that was to pay honor to Jesus as the eternal Son of God because of his resurrection from the dead. These 11 disciples would, would go on to change the world as the world knew it. And it was because of their genuine attitude of worship. A true service always flows out of an attitude of worship. And this principle we see, it's wonderfully illustrated in the very first missionary journey of the church. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. In verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. But notice there, at the end of that passage, it says, while they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit called Barnabas and Saul to their missionary work. While they were worshiping. Also notice that it was only Barnabas and Saul who were sent off. The rest of the prophets and the, and the teachers were left in, in Antioch to continue the, the ministry that was there. And no doubt the mission flourished because they were a worshiping church. They were a worshiping church. When God is, is not worshipped, folks, when He is not truly worshipped, He cannot be truly served. No matter how talented or how gifted we may think we are. If we are not worshiping people, we cannot serve God properly. True service flows out of an attitude of worship. It begins and ends with worship. We don't just worship on a Friday, folks. We don't just worship from 9.30 till 12.30. We worship God seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Amen. It begins and ends with worship. So the first element is availability. The second element is worship. The third element necessary to glorify God is submission. We see this in verse 18. Matthew says in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the text moves us from the disciples' insecurity and their, their lack of understanding and their reservations and their fears to focus on the exalted Lord. I love that. We see here in this verse, Jesus declares his authority. And all their reservations and all their fears fall away as they submit 
to the authority of Jesus. Before Jesus gave his great commission, he establishes his authority. And he states this. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth by his heavenly Father. Now Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe. He has authority over politics. He has authority over government. He has authority over all the armies and all the military might. He has authority over industry and, and business. He has authority over science and education. He has authority over all the entertainment and, and media and radio and, and TV. He has authority over sports and leisure. He has authority over all natural phenomenons, floods and volcanoes and earthquakes. And he has authority over planets and moons and stars. Because of this, he has authority over our lives. He has authority over our lives. Submission to the authority of Jesus is not an option for believers. It is our supreme obligation to submit to the authority of Jesus, to submit to his commands that he gives to us. You know, it's not our business to negotiate with, with Jesus. He is the king. It's not our business to negotiate what we will obey and what we won't obey. He is the king of all kings. And our attitude must be, if we are truly disciples of Jesus, whatever you say, Lord, I will do. Whatever you say, Lord, I will do. Are we being obedient, faithful disciples? Are we submitting to the authority of Jesus? We'll spend more time fleshing this out over the, the course of the month. But this is essential, folks. We are not just God's servants. We are his slaves. He has bought us with his blood. We belong to him. We are his purchased possession. We don't determine when and when we will not serve him. He has all authority over us. So the first element necessary to glorify God is availability. The second is worship. The third is submission. And only when these elements are present can we move to the, the next element. And the fourth element necessary to glorify God in making disciples is obedience. Obedience. Look at verse 19 and verse 20. Jesus says in these verses, Go therefore. Go therefore. Therefore is connected, isn't it? It's connected to his authority, folks. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, these are the verses that are known as the Great Commission. And the main verb and the central command of this passage is make disciples so Jesus command is, is simply this you are my disciples 
you are to reproduce me in this world. Go therefore into the world and tell the world about me. Baptize those who, who come to faith in me and then teach them to do what I have commanded. You know, there's not a, a culture or an ethnic group or a society or a religion or a language where Jesus does not have the right to be worshipped as Lord. He has authority to be king and Lord and Savior everywhere to everybody. And this is the reason that he commands us. This is the reason we are to, to make disciples in all the nations of the world. The authority and the supremacy of, of Jesus over every other religion and culture and society and over all gods is the basis of world missions. And we make no excuse for that. Jesus Christ, the living, all authoritative Lord of the universe has commanded us to call every nation, every people, every religion to repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the inheritance of eternal life with the one true God. Jesus has commanded us to go and make disciples among every people. It's not a choice. We must obey. We read this morning in our discipleship class, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, and I made a note of it this morning. This is King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, writing to his sons. And he's earned his riches and he's made mistakes and he has lived a, a life of ups and downs. But right at the end of his life, he writes this letter. And right at the end of this, this letter, this is how he concludes his life. He says, the end of the matter, after all that has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. King Solomon got it right eventually. He understood what our purpose is. He understood that we are to obey God, keep his commandments. And Jesus tells us, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. This is our duty. The first element is availability. The second element is worship. The third is submission. The fourth is obedience. And the fifth element necessary to glorify God is power, is power. Look at the end of verse 20. Jesus con concludes his statement here with these profound words. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, each of the previous elements hinge on this final element. Jesus promises that his presence will be with his people until the final culmination of the ages. Not one of us would be able to accomplish one thing for Christ were it not 
for the fact that he promises to be with us and enable us to carry out this mission, to carry out his purpose. We cannot do this in our own strength. We need supernatural strength. And the Lord promises it to his disciples. And it's because of this promise that that we can press on in the task that, that Christ has set before us. It's because of this promise that we can be involved in, in world missions, folks. This is not unreachable. This is not just for those big churches. It's not just for those, those, those rich people. We can all be involved in missions. We can all be involved in making disciples of Jesus Christ because God will empower us to do that. If we did not have a promise like this, we would all eventually give up in discouragement and despair. And perhaps that's why people get despondent and, and get discouraged when it comes to, to missions. Perhaps that's the reason why people lose their, their focus because they rely on their own strength. They rely on their, their own abilities rather than the supernatural power that God promises his disciples. So in order to glorify God, we need these elements. We need availability. We need worship. We need submission. We need obedience. And we need God's power. We need to be walking in the Spirit of God. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God if we are going to be used by God. Christian disciples are those who glorify God by participating in this plan of redemption. And the Christian life is characterized by those five elements. But let me ask you this morning as we conclude, does this description fit you? Does this description fit you? This is God's purpose for you as an individual in the body of Christ. We're not to do this as lone rangers, independent missionaries. We are to do this through the body of Christ. That's why the church sends missionaries. So they can be accountable and they can be encouraged and they can be provided for. God has a plan for all of us in the body of Christ. And it is my prayer that that you would take God's purposes and make them your purposes for, for your life. I'd like to close with a, a parable, a story that I read this week that I think fits perfectly into our sermon this morning. It goes like this. On a dangerous sea coast, a sea coast notorious for shipwrecks, there was a crude little life-saving station. Actually, the station was just a hut with only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the turbulent sea. With little thought for themselves, they would go out day and night tirelessly searching for those in danger as well as the lost. Many, many lives were saved by this band of men who faithfully worked as a team in and out of the life-saving station. By and by, it became a famous place. Some of those who had been saved as well as others along the seacoast 
wanted to become associated with this little station. And they were willing to give their time and money in support of its objectives. New boats were purchased, new crews were trained, and the station that was once obscure and crude and virtually insignificant began to grow. Some of, it, some of its members were unhappy that the hut was so unattractive and poorly equipped, and they felt a more comfortable place should be provided. Emergency beds were replaced with lovely furniture. Rough handmade equipment was discarded and sophisticated classy systems were installed. And the hut, of course, had been torn down to make room for the additional equipment and additional furniture and the systems and appointments. By its completion, the life-saving station had become a popular gathering place. And its objectives had began to shift. It was now used as a sort of a clubhouse, an attractive building for public gatherings, saving lives, feeding the hungry, strengthening the fearful, and calming the disturbed really occurred by now. Fewer members were now interested in braving the sea on life-saving missions, so they hired professional lifeboat crews to do this work. The original goal of the station wasn't altogether forgotten, however. The life-saving motive still prevailed in the club's decorations. In fact, there was a liturgical lifeboat preserved in the room of sweet memories with soft, indirect lighting, which helped hide the layer of dust upon the once-used vessel. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the boat crews brought in loads of, of cold, wet, half-drowned people. And they were dirty, some terribly sick and lonely. Others were indifferent from the majority of the, the club members. The beautiful new club suddenly became messy and cluttered. A special committee saw to it that a shower house was built outside and away from the club so shipwreck victims could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there were strong words and angry feelings, which resulted in a division among the members. Most of the people wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities and all the involvement with the shipwreck victims. It's too unpleasant. It's a hindrance to our social life. It's opening the door to folks who are not our kind. As you would expect, some still insisted upon saving lives. That this was their primary objective. That the only reason for existence was ministering to anyone needing help, regardless of their club's beauty or size or decorations. And they were voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. As years passed by, the new station experienced the same old changes. It evolved into another club, and yet another life-saving station was begun. And history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that coast today, you will find a large number of exclusive, impressive clubs along the shoreline, owned and operated by slick professionals who have lost all involvement with the saving of lives. Shipwrecks still occur in those waters, but now most of those victims are not saved. Every day they drown at sea, and so few seem to care. 
so very few. Folks, I do care, and I believe you do as well. God has called us, He's called you and me to glorify Him in our lives, through our church, here in the United Arab Emirates. And we've seen today how we glorify God is by making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is our mission. Our mission is to glorify Him by proclaiming the gospel to the lost, to the dying, to the world out there that is in need of Jesus. Do we, do we care that there are people dying in essence? And our mission, our purpose, our business is to save lives. Proverbs 11 verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that wins souls is wise. And he that wins souls is wise. We've just seen today that he who makes disciples glorifies God. Now, are we being wise? Are we as a church glorifying God? Commit yourself today, this week. This is my challenge to you. To be a witness of Jesus who glorifies the Father by making disciples of Jesus. I challenge you this week, speak to somebody about Jesus, somebody you haven't spoken to before. Perhaps commit yourself to, to telling a work colleague, a friend at school. Because as we've just seen, all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and earth. And because Jesus is always with us, we have no excuse, folks. I pray that you would take that challenge seriously this week and commit yourself to be a witness of Jesus so that you will glorify God with us by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray it would never be true of New Life Church that we were like the Pharisees who looked religious on the outside but stood at the gates of heaven and pointed people away from Christ. Don't let us be content by being a beautiful boathouse club, never reaching the lost, never fulfilling the purpose for which you have called us for. Help us to keep our focus on the mission that you have given to us. May the people who know us see us pursuing this great priority of making disciples. Lord, may it be true of us that we go to the people who don't know about you. May we preach a gospel to the people we can preach it to and, and equip others to preach it as well. Thank you for the opportunities that you give us, Lord, to be involved and partner with other ministry partners around the world. We can be involved not just here, but around the world. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us 
with Pedro and the internship program to be involved in equipping and helping others to preach the good news and calling those to baptism. Thank you for the, the wonderful example of that we'll see today, Father. Those who believe and those who follow you in this ordinance. Lord, we want to fulfill the reason for our existence here by making disciples. Lord, give us opportunities. Please, Lord, this week, give us opportunities because, Lord, we're available, because we're here, because we're submitting to your will, and we are worshiping you as you've called us to. It isn't just that, that we're in awe of you, Lord, and so we praise you, and we just stay in our, in our comfortable zones. Lord, we are in awe of you, and as a result, we need to submit to you because of that, Lord. Then help us, Lord, to be obedient to the plan as you've outlined it for us here in your word. That we would trust in your power. And that we would trust you to save the lost as we faithfully share the gospel. So equip us, Lord, that we would be able to do that. And we know, Lord, that we can only reach the world one at a time. But I pray, Lord, that you would bring us one this week that we can reach for the sake of your dear son. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.